following sermon was recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org. All right, we'll be looking in uh, Matthew chapter 11. We're going to turn in your Bibles. Um, if you like passages of Scripture that are confusing and have lots of things that don't make any sense, you'll love this passage. Um, if you're a preacher who has to preach through these things, it's a bit terrifying. Uh, but let's look at, um, at these verses as we begin. Uh, Jesus is not always what we expect. Uh, let's read, starting at verse 1 of chapter 11. When Jesus had finished instructing his twelve disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in their cities. Now when John heard in prison about the deeds of the Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? And Jesus answered them, Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, and the, and the, uh, the lame walk. Lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear and the dead are raised up, and the poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. As they went away, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who wear soft clothing are in king's houses. What then? Uh, Did you go out to see a prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. From the days of John the Baptist until now, The kingdom of heaven has suffered violence, and the violent take it by force. For all the prophets in the law prophesied until John. And if you are willing to accept it, he is Elijah who is to come. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. But to what shall I compare this generation? It is like children sitting in the marketplaces and calling to their playmates. We played the flute for you, and you did not dance. We sang a dirge, and you did not mourn. For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say he has a demon. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, Look at him, a glutton and a a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is justified by her deeds. We'll stop. Okay, we can can read that. I, I couldn't remember if I did this. Okay, then he began to denounce the cities where most of his mighty works had been done, because they did not repent. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? You will be brought down to Hades. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Sodom and Gomorrah, It would have remained until this day. But I tell you that it will be more tolerable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom than for you. Um, 
when uh, we think about uh, Jesus and his uh, life, there, there's been, uh, in recent times, um, a movement to try to uh, find the historical Jesus. And kind of the assumption behind that is that the Jesus in the Bible is somehow different than the real Jesus. Um, uh, a movement fostered by people who uh, don't really hold the authority of Scripture. Um, but, but it does raise an interesting question. Uh, if the real Jesus showed up, so let's say Jesus decided to come to uh, take a vacation in Chiang Mai, and he came, and maybe he even came and preached at CCF one morning, and he was here, and um, would he be anything like what you imagined? Right? Would Jesus measure up to your thoughts or your expectations or what you imagine? Um, or would he be something very different than what you have pictured? And of course, the truth is that maybe Jesus isn't here today, but someday he's coming back, and we will all meet him, we will all stand before him face to face. Um, and uh, we, want to, we, we want to not be surprised by the Jesus we meet, right? We want the Jesus who stands before us, uh, not just by his appearance, but by his character and by who he is, we want him to match our idea of him. Or, or we're going to be uh, sadly disappointed, and, and or worse, right? And then the, rea- the reality is, we all have uh, thoughts, and we, we do imagine what Jesus and God are like, right? We all have these ideas um, and about who He is and what we need Him to be, who He think He should be, what we think He should be doing, right? Uh, have you ever tell yourself, you ever find yourself telling God what he should be doing, right? Like, if you're the real God, and I hear this, people say, well, if God were really God, he would be this way, right? And I kind of step back, waiting for the lightning bolts to come crashing down, right? Um, but we do that. We have these ideas of what we think God should be and how he should be like. And, and um, that's probably not bad, but we want to make sure that what we think is close to and really lines up with the real, the real Jesus, the real God, the real person he is. Um, because um, it won't go for, well for us if he turns out to be something very different, very far removed from our idea of him. And the reality is that we are all shaped by our, our background, our experiences growing up, and, and we have a worldview. We have this vision of, of how we see the world and reality and what's true, um, and, and the reality is that our experiences and our worldview are not shaped uh, initially by Scripture. It's shaped by culture. It's shaped by family expectations. It's shaped by things we see around us that all come through eyes that are tainted by sinfulness and fallenness. So the truth is we all have a worldview and, a, and a, uh, an experience that is skewed by a false vision of what's real and what's good and true. And so we cannot help but have uh, a a worldview and a vision of God that's very different than how he actually is. Right now we've all seen in the news uh, the racial separation and division that's that's erupting all over the world, but kind of focused in the United States. And uh, these racial divides are very real, and and, um, uh, and I don't want to diminish them. They're true. But what I've seen is I kind of uh, hear both sides of, of whatever divide you're on, right? And this is true not only in racial division, but any time there's a big conflict. There's two sides, right? And um, what's, what's amazing is how these two sides can see the same exact world so differently, right? And you, you read what's going on, and this group says this, and the group says about the exact same thing, very different and opposite things. 
And the reality is that both sides have, have experiences that have shaped their view the way they see things very differently. And it's not that they're making things up. For them, this is truth. This is the way the world really is. And for this group, this is the way the world really is. And so it is important, and, and, and it's good to see that there's this movement to try to understand the other side, right? To try to understand that they do see the world differently than we do because their experiences and background are, di- are different, and that's good. Um, but it's not a solution, right? We will never solve the problem just by understanding how they see things differently. Because the truth is both sides see the world in a vision in a version that's flawed, right? We, we think, oh, well, I see it the way it really is. And so if they understood my view, well, then it would fix everything because I've got the real view, right? I'm the one who sees it the way it really is, right? Amen. Uh, no, no, right? We, we, we all see the world through very flawed vision and flawed eyes. So the solution is to understand their view or them to understand ours so that finally... Right? Well, like, well, now that I see your view, I see how wrong I was, right? No, the reality is both sides are wrong. And the solution is not to see, only to see the other side, but through that to begin seeing how both sides are flawed and how we need to find the, the truth. We need to see the real picture. And that's the only way that there will ever be solutions. And um, I'm not real optimistic that's going to happen because most people don't want to admit they're blind, Right? They, they, they would love to say that the other people are the blind ones, not me. Right. So, uh, but, but the same thing is true in, in our relationship with God. Uh, the only difference is he, his vision is the true one. Right? Uh, God's vision is perfectly clear. Um, and so, so we find John, poor John the Baptist, uh, and he is for us a good uh, teacher of this very principle. John got himself in trouble, and Jesus turned out not to be the person he expected. Which is a little ironic, because John was the forerunner to Jesus, right? John was out there prophesying, here's the Messiah, he's coming. Prepare the way for the Messiah, right? And the Messiah comes, and John's like, well, that's not what I was picturing, right? This is not the Jesus I was, I was imagining, right? So he sends us, he's in prison, and... And it says specifically that he sees the deeds of the Christ. Now, Matthew adds the words, the Christ, to make sure we're clear that we are talking about the Messiah here. Uh, And he says, you know, uh, John sees his deeds, and it bothers him, because Jesus is not doing what John thinks he should. Um, And and later, Jesus says that John's the greatest person to ever live. No, there's no no, no one born of woman greater than John. And yet John, great as he is, uh, does not see Jesus clearly because he's looking through blurred vision. So uh, what I want to talk about this morning is how we can uh, see Jesus clearly. We, we need to make sure we are worshiping and serving and knowing Jesus as he is in, in truth. Right? So how do we do that? How do we make sure that our vision and our understanding of Jesus is, is perfectly clear? clear and accurate and true. And as we'll see at the end, to have the wrong vision of Jesus is a very serious mistake. Right? We don't want to be off on this. We want to know who he is. And so the reality is we all need glasses. We all do not, none of us have 20-20 vision uh, when it comes to seeing Jesus and to seeing God. And so we need glasses. We need to correct our vision. 
And uh, in this passage, we see that there's uh, two lenses through which we need to look at Jesus to understand him correctly and understand who he is. And the first lens is the lens of Scripture. Um, So as I said, uh, John has got serious doubts in prisons about the Christ. And so he sends his disciples and says, Are you the one who is to come? Right. Are you this anointed? Are you, are you the one we've been waiting for? Now, I don't know that John's uh, doubts were, were major, or we, we don't know. And to give the guy some, some credit, um, he's been in prison for possibly up to a year. And, uh, and it's hard, right? Uh, certainly his life probably isn't going like he expected. And I'm sure he was envisioning uh, this Messiah coming uh, at the end of his time. And he would... He would decrease, but this Messiah would increase, and, and this Messiah would do great things and would restore the kingdom. Uh, and, and he's thinking of the kingdom and the way all Jews did in, in Jesus' day as uh, kicking out Rome and reestablishing uh, Jerusalem and a kingdom. Um, and of course, on top of that, not only is, is things kind of hard for John, which can certainly skew your perspective and make things hard to see, but on top of that, think about what kind of prophet John was. John was a hellfire and brimstone prophet, right? Uh, Matthew chapter 3 gives us a picture of kind of the, the kind of prophecy, the kind of preaching that John gave. It says, I baptize you with water, John speaking, for repentance. But one is coming after me, he, uh, the one coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Uh, and we think of fire coming down like in Pentecost, but John's probably thinking fire like brimstone, you know, like Sodom and Gomorrah fire, right? Um, his winnowing fork is in his hand. A winnowing fork was a picture of God's judgment. He will clear the threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. This is John, right? I can just see him out there raving, unquenchable fire. <sighs> Repent. God's doom is coming, right? Judgment is going to fall. That's the kind of guy John was. He was intense, right? And so uh, John's in prison and he hears about Jesus', Jesus uh, deeds. And it's like, where's the brimstone? Where's the hellfire? Where's the judgment? You're out there healing people and making people better and feel better. Like, what, what is that, right? Uh, and John's a bit off, right? This is not the Jesus he expected. Um, and and, and uh, it's important to note that John predicted a Jesus who would come in mercy and judgment, right? And, and, and it's not that John didn't like Jesus showing kindness, um, but, but that's, not the, that's not what he was expecting, right? Where's the other half? And, and I would say that this is a good picture of how our wrong views of Jesus tend to fall out. Like if we're going to talk about extremes, we kind of tend to fall into one of two extremes, the first one is Jesus is too nice. That's where John was. Jesus is just too nice. Like, he's too nice. Uh, I want a Jesus who's got some, you know, some teeth. Um, we were saying this morning just now, the lion and the lamb, right? Those are kind of those two sides. John wants the lion side. Where's the lion? The roaring lion is going to judge, right? But then we can also go to the other extreme, and uh, we may think Jesus is not as nice as he should be. Um, people hear about judgment, how God's going to judge, how God could uh, judge people for sin and could condemn them to hell. And some people think, well, I wouldn't follow a God like that. That's, the, that, that's not a God that's very nice. Right? 
And so we get in trouble not because we don't know any truth about God, but because we don't have a balanced view of Him. We're not taking into account all that Scripture says about who God is or who Jesus is. And we pick and choose the parts that we like that fit our view, and we want to, we want to exclude or throw out those that don't. Um, and, and so it's interesting that Jesus answers. So disciples come and they say, you know, are you the guy? Basically, that's the question. Are you the guy? Uh, or should we be looking for uh, somebody else? Like, are, are you not the Messiah? And notice Jesus' answer in verse 4. It says, And Jesus uh, answered them, Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, and the lame walk. Lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear. And the dead are raised up, and the poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Now, at first appearance, it would, it would look like Jesus is saying, my actions speak for themselves. Like, if you, if you doubt me, you just need to look at the things I've done, and that, that's proof, right? My miracles, the, the people I've healed, I've even raised the dead, uh, that speaks for itself. Uh, but to, to have that understanding is to actually miss what Jesus is really saying here. That is actually not what Jesus is saying. Uh, Jesus here is actually quoting Old Testament scripture, right? Uh, and, and there's actually several scriptures that kind of get mixed together. Uh, the most dominant one would be Isaiah 35, 5, and 6, where uh, Isaiah writes, The eyes of the blind shall be opened, the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. And Psalm 61, 1, and there's, there's others that are threaded and woven in here, right? And, and um, there's these echoes from Isaiah, and believe me, John and, and most serious Jews at this time, they would have known these, these passages. Right? These were not mysterious to them. Kind of like we know um, Romans, uh, what's, uh, what's, what's, uh, for all have sinned and fall short of the... See, we know that, right? If I start it, you know it. So that's kind of, when Jesus started quoting those, he would... John would have understood. He's not talking about his actions. He's quoting scripture, right? And, 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 and John would have known these scriptures. John probably preached them, right? Probably challenged people with these. This is the Messiah that's coming. Um, and the point is this. Uh, we need to, Jesus is saying here, you need to evaluate me and my life and my ministry. You need to determine if I'm the Messiah based on scripture, Right? You need to look at the Old Testament and see what the Old Testament says and see how I am fulfilling what was written in the Old Testament. Right? Uh, he is not saying, well, I've done all kinds of cool stuff, so you should believe in me. Right? He is, did do all kinds of cool stuff, but it was cool stuff. It was miracles in line with what the prophets had said would happen. And, and so uh, Jesus is saying, uh, yes, I am the Messiah, but I am the Messiah based on fulfillment of Scripture, fulfillment of the Old Testament. Of the Old Testament. Um, uh, and and uh, it's interesting that the, uh, the passages that Jesus quotes, all of them, also speak of judgment. Like if you read the greater context, they all announce the great coming day of, of, of the Lord and of God's judgment. And so it, that's also there. But Jesus is highlighting that at this time, it is a season of mercy. And judgment will come 
But, but right now, Jesus is fulfilling uh, this part, right? And, and so, uh, so John needs to see that. Um, it's interesting, Jesus actually also adds two miracles that are not found in any of the passages in Isaiah. One is on raising the dead. The other one is on healing lepers. Uh, and, and Jesus, by doing this, kind of expands it beyond just Isaiah to the greater body of all the Old Testament. Uh, because we know that the ultimate wages of sin was what? Death. Death was the consequence. And it's uncleanness. So the leprosy was, was the, uh, one of the most graphic signs of the uncleanness that, that, that sin brought. And of course, the ultimate consequence was death. And Jesus was showing that he is a Messiah who is addressing uh, the most devastating consequences of sin that were laid out through all the Old Testament. Uh, so, so Jesus is saying here, in, in, in essence to John, uh, don't look through your own lens of what you think you want the Messiah to be. Don't pick and choose the Old Testament scriptures that you like and, and squeeze the Messiah into that mold. But you have to take the whole body of Scripture, right? And, and Jesus is very clear that in Isaiah, the Messiah would come bringing healing and restoring the broken and dealing with death and sin and its uncleanness. And so Jesus finishes with this challenge to, to John. He says in verse 6, And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. The word there, offended, could literally mean to stumble or to fall away. Uh, and Jesus warns even John, uh, if he's not careful, if he doesn't see Jesus, the Messiah, through the lens of Scripture, even John the prophet could, could be at risk of falling away. Nobody is exempt, right? Because we can only know Jesus and we can only fully see him clearly when we look through the uh, uh, lens of Scripture. Um, uh, Jesus was not what John expected, but the problem is not Jesus. <laughs> right? The problem was uh, John's wrong understanding of, of the scriptures. Um, and this is rel- a relevant word for us in our day. Right? If this was a problem for John, who we will see as the greatest prophet uh, and the, the climax of all prop- prophetic words, if it's a problem for, for him, how much of is it a, a risk for us today to uh, not see Jesus for who he really is. Right? It's a huge risk. Um, and it's sad. In, in, our, in our era, in our generation, we see uh, youth turning away from the gospel and turning away from Christ in huge numbers. Right? Kids who grew up in Christian homes, kids who, kids who have gone to Christian schools, who maybe grew up on the mission field. And uh, they, they turn into adulthood, they go off to college, and they, they, they leave the faith. They fall away, they stumble. And there may be many reasons for that, but I wonder if one of the reasons is that they, uh, they discover that Jesus is not what they expected. right? Because they haven't been given a clear picture of Jesus through Scripture. Right? They've, they've imagined this Jesus has come through their own kind of Christian subculture or Christian bubble or uh, you know, experiences that are separate from Scripture. Right? And when they're confronted with the real Jesus, um, he, he disappoints them right? because he's not what they expect. Um, 
and so they they fall away. Uh, and that's true for all of us, right? We need to root and anchor our vision of Christ in, in, in the Word, in the Word, right? Um, and when it confronts and we don't like it and it's not what we expect, we need to let the Word change us, not, uh, uh, not reshape Jesus, right? Okay, but Jesus goes on. So that's the first lens. The first lens is uh, seeing Jesus through the lens of Scripture. Second lens is, is seeing Jesus through the lens of faith. And uh, Jesus turns from John's disciples in verse 7 to the crowd. Right? And he says, As they went away, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. Uh, what did you go out to, into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? No. What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Certainly not. What then did you go out to see? A prophet. Uh, and actually more than a prophet. Uh, John was not a, a, a wind-blown reed. In other words, uh, somebody who was easily swayed by people's opinions and by, uh, by people's demands or expectations, right? Uh, John wasn't a, a, reed, a, a weed, a reed blown by the wind, right? Uh, also, he wasn't a guy wearing pajamas, <laughs> Soft clothes in the king's palace. He wasn't out there. I didn't go out to see this guy out in his pajamas, chilling in his easy chair, sipping tea. No, uh, he wasn't that kind of guy. And uh, people who lived in, in, in the Old Testament, many prophets lived in king's houses. This is how it worked. You got to wear your pajamas and you got a cushy life because the king paid for everything. But he also paid you to, to proclaim the right message, Right? Like, if you're getting paid by the king, you don't want to go up to the king and say, hey, you're a sinner, <laughs> right? No, you, you tell the king what he wants to hear because you don't want to mess with your comfy lifestyle. Well, John wasn't like that either. He was one who boldly proclaimed the word of truth. Right? He was a prophet. But he was actually also more than a prophet. Um, and, and how was he more than a prophet? Well, he was more than a prophet because he was the last prophet, or he was the final message of a long series of prophets who pointed to this new coming age or era. And this is where we get into some very confusing verses, and I'm not going to get super bogged down with these because um, it's just confusing, and maybe I don't have the right answers anyway, and we don't want to get stuck here too long. But, but basically what Jesus is saying here is that John came as the, the last of an era, Right? He's the greatest prophet because he's the one who introduced the Messiah and ushered in the new era. And so uh, John is a, is a dividing line. He's a hinge of history, the greatest hinge of history, separating uh, God's work up to Jesus and then God's work from Jesus forward. Um, and, and so he's greatest because he's the culmination of the tradition of all the prophets. Um, uh, and, uh, and he says that, but, but he does say uh, that uh, John is the greatest, uh, because of that he's the greatest among, born among women, uh, because he had this privilege of, of actually announcing and introducing Jesus. Right? But then he goes on to say uh, this kind of off-the-cuff random thing, uh, yet one who is the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. And what in the world is that about? First problem, does this mean that John was not in the kingdom? He was a great prophet, but, oh, sorry, you missed out. Uh, that seems unfortunate, right? And, and how, could, uh, how could those in the kingdom, the least of them, be greater than John? 
Well, certainly John didn't miss out on salvation. But what Jesus is talking about here is two eras, right? And, and with Jesus, Jesus said the kingdom is drawn near. The, the kingdom is now present. He's not talking about eternal life and what John would experience in the resurrection. At that day, we, we will join and John will be there with us. He's not missing out. But in the prophetic tradition, he did miss out. All the prophets missed out because their role was not to join into the kingdom. They were to point to its coming. Right? They were forerunners. They were preparing the way for what was to come. And uh, poor John uh, almost made it to the finish line and poof, got put in prison. And, and he's the end. He's the end of that first era. Right? Now, and, and technically, if you want to get really technical, technically he did live into, and Jesus even acknowledges that from the days of John, the kingdom has come. So technically, John uh, was there, but uh, theologically he wasn't. Right? He's part of the old era, the Old Testament. Um, and so, he, so Jesus says that, that the least in the kingdom, that is the new era, is greater than John. And what Jesus is saying here is when the kingdom came, when everything that the Old Testament pointed to came in Christ, it was that much better than the old. Right? So uh, maybe you feel like you're the least in the kingdom. Certainly Paul said that, I'm the greatest of sinners. We may feel like we're nothing. But just being in the kingdom, we are greater than, than John. Right? Uh, such is the work of Christ. Such is the work of this new kingdom, which is now being realized not fully accomplished, but the kingdom came with Jesus. And we now are participants in the kingdom, this new era and this new age, of which John could only uh, prepare us for and prepare the people of his day for. Uh, so that verse is hard enough, but the next verse um, is worse. So from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence, and the violent take it by force. Okay, chapter, uh, verse 13, moving on. <sighs> Skip that verse. What does that verse mean? Well, it's a verse that's full of all kinds of difficulties and challenges. And uh, part of the challenge is that commentators and, and translators can't even agree on how to translate it. And I won't go into all the, the nuances and variances, but probably the best translation would be this. From the time of John the Baptist until now, uh, so from the beginning of John's ministry to the time when Jesus was speaking, but then the, probably even on into the time of Matthew writing and maybe even to us, uh, the kingdom of heaven has been forcefully advancing. And one of the problems is this verb could be taken as a, an action that's done against it or an action it's doing. Uh, probably the best explanation is that the kingdom has been forcefully advancing. Jesus has been out there doing miracles. He's been healing. He's been raising the dead. Jesus has confronted the, the forces of, of sin and darkness with force and with power. So when Jesus commands the demons to come out of, 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 the, man, of the demoniacs at Gedarenes, they, they left, right? And uh, 2,000 pigs crashed down into the, uh, dead, uh, the Sea of Galilee, right? That's taking it by force. That's extending the kingdom uh, forcefully with power, right? But at the same time, he says, and violent men have been trying to plunder it. And Jesus has also been talking about the fact that many people are not going to receive the kingdom and they're attacking it, they're coming against it. 
Um, whatever the meaning, the point of this verse is this, that it is a new era. Right? Uh, Jesus has come, and things are radically different now. Radically different. Um, the kingdom has come and is coming. Uh, and those who enter into it um, uh, enter into a whole new thing right, that Jesus has brought about. Um, verse thir- Now we can move on to verse 13. Uh, For all the prophets and law prophesied until John. And if you are willing to accept it, he is Elijah who is to come. Bottom bottom line is this, uh, and it's important how we understand Scripture. Um, The message of all of Scripture from Genesis to Revelation, the message of Scripture is what? Jesus. It's Jesus, okay? Okay, make sure I'll say that again. We've got to get this one right. right? The message of all of Scripture is Jesus. He is the center. He is the main point. He is the main character. He is the punchline. He is the grand climax. He's the glorious theme of Scripture, Genesis to Revelation. That's what Jesus says here. From the prophets and the law prophesied until John. And what did John prophesy of? Jesus, right? The Messiah, the coming of the kingdom. All of the Old Testament was preparation. It was painting a picture and pointing to what would ultimately be fulfilled and completed when Jesus came. All of it, right? And so, so uh, Jesus is saying to the crowd, look, if, if you're going to look through and see who the Messiah is through the lens of Scripture, there's, there's plenty of Scripture. All of it points to me. Not just the prophets, but even the law. It all, when it's seen through the right lens and the right understanding, all points to the coming of Christ and the fulfillment of it. Right, so that's why uh, when we preach and when we teach, our, our teaching and preaching needs to be filled with Jesus. Uh, so even if you're teaching Leviticus, believe it or not, Jesus is there a lot, actually. Right? Uh, recently, I was asked to for uh, ABTS to do a, I don't know what they call it, an assessment, where I'm supposed to uh, make sure the school's doing a good job. So I get to grade the school. And one of the ways that I do that is they, they gave me these sample sermons, and I'm supposed to read through these sample sermons and evaluate them for certain criteria. Uh, and one of the things that struck me out of all these sermons is how few of them uh, contain Jesus. Right? And uh, there were some very good things about this. I want to diss the school, because there were a lot of good things about what they, they did. But uh, what, what happens is we get, we get so caught up in, 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 you know, in the forest, um, in the trees, we lose sight of the forest. Right? And that's what happened with a lot of these young student preachers. Right? They got so into the passage talking about this and that, and they kind of missed the main point of the story of the Scripture. We need to see how it points to Jesus, okay? and that's true for us. It was, and that's actually true, been true of me often. It's easy for me to get so wrapped up in, uh, you know, what's going on in Genesis that I miss Jesus. Right? Uh, when we look at Scripture, we need to look through the lens of Scripture, but we need to make sure we're focused on what what that lens points to, and that's Jesus. Right? We need to be seeing Jesus through every chapter and uh, book of scripture um, and, and, but there's more than that it's not enough just to see it in scripture and, and Jesus ends with these words to the crowd he says and if you are willing to accept it 
uh, he is, that is, John is Elijah who is to come. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. He who has ears, what does he mean by that? He who has ears to hear. Like were there people running around in that day who didn't have ears? (laughs) No, they all had ears. But what he's saying here is you have to be tuned in, right? You have to be paying attention. And the mechanism of paying attention to these scriptures is faith, right? The scripture will be powerless unless you tune in or look through the lens of faith. And and that was the unfortunate part for the crowds. They weren't that interested in Scripture, but even where Jesus and John pointed out the Scriptures, they failed to get the message because they were not looking through eyes of faith or hearing with ears of faith. And Jesus is going to talk about this later in Matthew as well in the parables. Faith is accepting Jesus as he is revealed in Scripture, even if he is not what I want or expect. That's faith. Faith is looking at Scripture and believing the Word. And believing it even when it tells me things about God and Jesus I don't really like. But faith is accepting that the Word is true, that God knows way more than I do. And I'm the blind one, not God. And if things need to change, it's because my vision is fuzzy. And I need to have it sharpened by Scripture. And so when I see things that challenge my view of God and the world, and even myself, I need to have faith that the word is true, right? Faith is changing my ideas about Jesus to, to conform. Faith is changing my ideas about Jesus to conform to the word, rather than conforming Jesus to fit to my expectations. Right? That's what faith does. Faith is believing the word is true, and it is the clear vision we need to see and understand the real Jesus as He is. Um, and Jesus says. Uh, John is Elijah. This comes from Malachi 4, uh, 5, the last verse of the Old Testament where, where Malachi writes, Behold, I will send you Elijah, the prophet, before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. Amazing promise. And that's what Jesus has been saying. John was the old era, uh, the last. And when Elijah comes and John's Elijah, that's the mark that the great and awesome day of the Lord has come. And it is a day of judgment. But before that, it's a great day of salvation. And you and I are living in the great and awesome day of the Lord. Amen? And you are all greater than John. Right? If you know Jesus, you are greater than John. Uh, in the kingdom, there is greatness because of the work of Christ. Uh, finally, Jesus wraps us up by uh, really turning to the crowd and warning them. He says, you, What shall I compare this generation? It is like children sitting in the marketplace and calling to their playmates, We played the flute for you and you did not dance. We sang a dirge and you did not mourn. Our kids would play games and probably the way this works is the girls would play the flute uh, at a wedding and the boys would dance. Right? Kind of the reverse of how maybe it works now. Now it seems like the girls do more of the dancing and the guys kind of stand there going, mm. I'm not dancing. I'm not dancing. Don't make me dance, right? But back in those days, the men danced. Um, So the girls played the flute, but the boys wouldn't dance, right? Uh, Then there's the other picture. The boys sang a dirge, and the girls were supposed to mourn. And in that culture and that time, the the women were the mourners. And I can't imagine why anybody would want to play these as games, (laughs) 
But Jesus is throwing out a parable here, right? And kind of the point of it is children are fickle. They're selfish. They don't want to play with each other, right? They want everybody to play their game, but they don't want to play what somebody else wants to play. And Jesus interprets it. He says, but you were like that. For John came neither eating or drinking, and they say he has a demon. Right? John was too serious uh, out there eating grasshoppers in the desert. Uh, the guy must have been demon-possessed. But when Jesus came along, the Son of Man, eating and drinking, they say, look at him, he's a glutton and a drunkard. Right? Jesus is highlighting that they can't interpret what they see because they haven't put their glasses on. Right? They are not looking through the lens of Scripture and faith. They're seeing John and they're seeing Jesus through their own unaided eyes and they are blind. And all they see is, is fuzzy stuff. Yeah, John, how could he be telling the truth? Jesus, how could he be, how could he be the Messiah? Right? Because they were seeing through their own eyes. And it's a warning of the seriousness of not putting on these glasses of Scripture and faith. And, and trying to understand Jesus and God through our own thinking, through our own ideas, through our own culture, through our own background. It will get us in serious trouble. And Jesus finishes by saying it's, it's a serious deal because it, if you get this wrong, the end result is judgment. Uh, judgment will come. John is right. There will come a day of, of, of judgment and wrath. And he, he says, Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. Woe to you, Capernaum. These were cities right around where Jesus was teaching and working and ministering, where he'd done many of his miracles. And they had seen the miracles, but they failed to understand them through Scripture. Right? Maybe they cheered him on and said, Wow, Jesus, that was awesome. Raise that girl from the dead. That's impressive. But they failed to link it with what it meant in the Old Testament. And they failed to see it through the eyes of faith. And so in the end, they missed Jesus. They did not understand who he was, and they missed their own Messiah. And the same warning comes to us, right? Uh, put on those glasses, right? Uh, for me, uh, one of the ways that I have misunderstood Jesus, um, and it's not so much that I didn't understand the scripture, but I didn't, I didn't see it through the eyes of faith. Uh, growing up, and I don't know why, but I had a hard time understanding grace. Like I knew I was a sinner. I know I did not deserve God's goodness. I knew I did not earn salvation. And so when I would sin, I would, I would be down on myself. I would be discouraged. Um, and in my head, I knew the scriptures. You know, if you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Right? And so I could see through the lens of Scripture, but it was hard for me to see through the lens of faith. And it was hard for me to believe that Jesus could really be that gracious, that he would really forgive my sin. It's like, well, maybe he would do that for other people, but for me, right, I had a hard time accepting it. Um, I saw Jesus as too much a stern and angry father who wanted to, or not even father, slave master, who wanted to smack me every time I messed up. Right? That wasn't the truth. That's not the truth of who Jesus is. For those who come to him in faith, there is grace. For those who reject him, there is judgment. 
We need to see Jesus through the eyes of Scripture and through the eyes of faith. Let's pray. You've been listening to a sermon recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org.